caregivers. Have you ever felt like nothing is going right? Well, cheer up and welcome to Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver radio program, where you'll learn how to avoid that dreaded thing called caregiver burnout and how to survive the grieving process. Join Dave and his guests now as they share practice tips and tools that you can start using immediately to help get you through this day. Now, here's your caregiver host, Dave Nassani. From Los Angeles and the Big Apple in New York, a big L.A. and New York welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host, Adrian Gruberg, at thecaregiverspace.org. Coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on 16 audio and video platforms, including iTunes and YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, MixCloud, Listen Notes, Blueberry, Player FM, Podcast.com, VIP Internet Radio, Facebook Live, HealthyLife.net, and CaregiverDave.com. And we are voted, we're very proud to be voted number two best podcast out of the top six podcasts by Caring.com. And we have an exciting show planned for you today, folks. If you can't tell from my voice, (laughs) don't we, Adrian? Yeah. Yes, I trained her to say yes. It's just us today. No, it's not just us today. We have Jill Armijo, and today we're going to be talking about, uh, first of all, she's a caregiver to her veteran husband who came back from uh, Desert Storm, just a mm-hmm. little different than when she, than when he came, than when he went mm-hmm. there. So... Uh, first of all, I, I thank him for his service over there, and we'll talk about that some more. But over the next few years, he became mentally and physically unable to work, and Jill struggled to know how to care for him and their children. She took on the role of victim and martyr along with caregiver and harbored resentment, thoughts of feeling trapped. Sound familiar? <laughs> oh, yeah. That the, that the children didn't deserve this, that she wanted her husband back, and that she couldn't do this anymore. She understands how important it is for caregivers to learn that they do have a choice, that their life is exactly as it should be, and that caregiving can be a gift uh, and, on, and a journey. And like all of us, at one point, decide to take our message to the world, so she did about a year ago, decided to share her message. So why don't you uh, help me introduce Jill? Jill, welcome to the show. Thank you. So happy to have you here. I like to ask our guests, just who is Jill Armijo, and why did God put her on this green earth? Jill is um, (laughs) someone who is so glad to be here, and I haven't always been able to say that. And my Hmm. life has gone exactly not ever how I planned or told God I wanted it to go. Mm-hmm. So my journey has been one of learning to trust God and to learn to enjoy all the challenges. Um, one of my favorite quotes is, there's no growth in the comfort zone and there's no comfort in the growth zone. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to have to write that one down. Interesting, yeah, me too. I'm always talking about getting out of your comfort zones. So before we talk about you and your husband, do you have any experience caring for your parents? Uh, you know, what other caregiver yes. experiences do you have? 
Though right now, my mom, who is in her 80s and runs circles around all of her kids and grandkids, mm -hmm. is caring for my dad who has Parkinson's. And oh. so she doesn't need a lot of help from me, but since she's in her 80s, and I've been a physical therapist assistant for almost 30 years, she, mm. if she hurts her back or if she gets sick or, you know, all kinds of things can happen when you're 80. And so I just, I'm kind of her right-hand man and I just fix her whenever she and she is the best <laughs> patient ever she does exactly what i tell her to do and she just gets better in two or three days she is amazing oh, lucky you that, that they should all be so cooperative mm. wow yes and bef before my dad got parkinson's um long before he got parkinson's when i was 10 uh, my parents uh started caring for my very first grandmother whose uh, husband my grandfather died suddenly of a heart attack and so at the age of 10 um, my little sister who was eight and I got to take care of her for one summer she did not want to leave her home as most people don't and she had wonderful neighbors and friends uh, where she lived and so the grandkids all got to take turns living at her house temporarily for a few months at a time, especially like during the summers. And the neighbor lady would come over and give her her insulin shots. She was a nurse. And my grandma used a walker and was legally blind and had so many problems. Oh, wow. And I'm surprised that anybody thought it was a good idea to let her be cared for by her grandkids. But it was a fabulous experience for us. And I think that the summer my little sister, Janelle, and I for her was the um, the straw that broke the camel back because we just were a mess and we had some hilarious experiences um, that just made my grandma decide she didn't really get home that bad. <laughs> <laughs> so. Wow. So this isn't your first rodeo, so yeah. to speak. God made sure that you had some experience before your husband came home. Uh, tell yeah. us how that all happened now he was in the service what rank what uh, branch and you know where did they send him and what happened so he's a midshipman and he was on a tender big huge ship a third of the ship was women very large wow. um tender and they they would drive and drive they would float <laughs> to wherever a ship was that needed care and or was stuck and mm -hmm. would fix up the ship so he was a machinist and as soon as the gulf war began his ship so when i started dating him and found out he was in the military i said i actually i'm not interested i don't want to marry somebody who's going to be gone <clears throat> mm. and my husband hastened to assure me that he was on the acadia is the name of the ship and it was pretty close to being decommissioned and it just sat in the dock and waited for ships to come to it to take care of and mm. so he told me that he would never be going anywhere and so <laughs> I just <laughs> we truly were a match made in heaven and we uh, hit it off really fast and I trusted him that he was going to be beside me the whole time <laughs> and so we got married and within just a couple of months of when we got married in March of 1990, the Gulf War, and he was deployed by September, and he came back in March. Mm. Wow. He, 
he uh, he came back and he was right away already kind of different. One of the reasons I fell in love with him is because he was so easygoing. He was so kind. He loved his nieces and nephews and all of his family. Uh, was very friendly. We had the the best friends that um, that you know we nurtured relationships with other sailors and mm-hmm. their spouses and. Uh, he would, we lived in San Diego and he would just easily just give a 20 to anybody who was begging on the street. Just the kindest, drove in the slow lane, was never in a hurry, was never angry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when he came back from the war, almost completely the opposite of all those things that I just described to you, it was quite a shock. He was terrified of everyone. He wow. has not been able to maintain a relationship with any of his family. He didn't even go mm. to his own mother's funeral several years ago because he was terrified of his sisters and their spouses and everybody. People are like gremlins to him. It's kind of sad, <laughs> uh, you know, uh. about that. But uh, he's terrified of everything. He was jealous. He was controlling of the money. He was worried. I came home from work one day. I'm a therapist, a, a physical therapist assistant, and he said, "So, do you enjoy massaging your male patients?" And I was just like, "What is that about?" <laughs> it was just, it's just such a shock for me that he was so um, unhappy and delusional. He was truly that. I I didn't realize it at first, but he he came home um, developing. Schizophrenia because of the sarin mm. gas in the Gulf. Oh, so. I am so so sorry. Your story is. Don't be sorry. Okay, <laughs> Dave. Dave, I I will. So I'm, I've got some more stories. If you ask me the right questions. No, um, we will. We will talk about that. I I wanted journey. I wanted people to first know before we talk about the caregiver and how they can care for themselves. I want them to hear your story and what you're going through. Okay, I like to start with the worst and then let's get better from yeah. there. Uh, your story is a common one. I've spoken to uh, husbands who've come home from war and battle and have been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. And each story is worse than the last one, it seems. And some of the things that, that some of these spouses put up with, you know, suicide attempts, divorce, just leaving the house, um, Having a gun, you know that that uh, if you wake them up too too uh, abruptly, you know you can have a gun pointed at your head. Just just terrible, terrible things. I I'm kind of think you went through some or or much of that. Yes or no? Oh yes, I I found the bullets that he had whittled down so that they would be pointier, so that they wouldn't make the big mess. Ooh. How thoughtful of him. <laughs> I know. He's a wow. good guy. He's a sweetheart. <laughs> so wow. we've had yeah, we've had a lot of scary times and a lot of times that we didn't either one of us know what to do with. Both of us have been um on the verge of suicide for different reasons and the same wow. reasons. So how many years have you been going through this? Uh since nineteen ninety one was when he came right. home from Operation Desert Storm and at that time, he wasn't as bad as he is now. Now, <laughs> although he's better now than he was just a few years ago, because of my journey becoming a life coach, he and I have 
just learned so much about how to care for ourselves and how to mm. not expect the other person to meet our needs and how to um, be just be happy and even when we're not happy to just snuggle up to the sad and just realize this is how this is the time that we're going to be sad and to just mm -hmm. let life happen and be so grateful for everything. Both of you have come to that understanding. Yes, I. So I did well, this that's, first. That's and, huge. Um, yeah, it is huge. And they, they, my, my coach told me that the best way to share this with your friends and family is just to go through the changes yourself mm -hmm. and just learn everything you can and just be the whole new you that you want to be. And that's all it took. And then he wondered why, and he started asking questions. And so mm. he, uh, he listens to some group coaching calls with me sometimes, and we've had personal co um, <clears throat> relationship coaching, and that was really powerful. And he he has improved. It's amazing. Okay, because so when I heard you say that he's getting gone. worse, when I heard you say that he's getting worse, I said, oh, no. But then you said he's getting better, actually. So that's good news. Yeah, so he originally got worse and worse mm. from 1990 until about 1996. That was when he really started losing it emotionally and um, ended up in the hospital and, and all of that stuff. Um, so what then, changed? What made him get better? Uh, this health coaching, the life okay. coaching that we went really? through. So you both went together. Yeah, me first, and then he just kind of, well, I I changed myself, and that made all the difference. Ah. I. I say different things to myself now. I In the beginning, I used to say all kinds of things like, I'm just always walking on eggshells. He right. doesn't deserve this. My kids don't deserve this. I can't do mm. this anymore. Those were thoughts that were just constantly running through my head. And when I learned the things that I understand now, I can say totally different things in my head that really make sense and, and I understand them. You can say platitudes and affirmations all day long, but if your brain doesn't believe it, it's not going to help you. But my brain has learned to to suggest to myself and offer myself thoughts like, my life is going exact, exactly as it should. And this this is actually kind of fun a lot of times. My husband is an amazing guy. He's really funny. He loves his children. He adores me. He has a lot of good qualities. And everybody's a package deal. And he has his good qualities and he has his weaknesses just like the rest of us. And I've just learned to take more notice of those. Our brains are really conditioned to noticing um, danger and to, like one thing that I used to do was just uh, plan to be miserable. And so mm -hmm. I would just be miserable in advance of something that he might find to be delusional sure. about and cause us misery. So I was going around being pretty miserable, and I just don't have to do that anymore. So, Well, good for you. So how how do you explain that people who have a choice to caregive or not, you know, what about people who don't have any other family or they don't have money to hire help? What's What kind of hope do you have for them? I'm so glad you asked that because being a physical therapist assistant for so many years, I did a lot of home health, and I actually encountered many people who had spouses or children or parents who could not care for them. So I worked in mm. nursing homes also, and I realized that when you can't care for someone, it actually is the loving choice to take 
care of yourself first and to let someone else help you. Mm. And I think a lot of people feel trapped because they feel that if they let someone else help them take care of their loved one, that they're somehow giving up on their loved one or they don't love their their right. person as much. And that's or they're being just selfish. not true. Or they're being selfish. And there are many. And so the thing that made me realize this was this was pretty early on when my husband was sick. I had a patient. We lived in Colorado Springs, and she lived in between Colorado Springs and Kansas, out in the boonies. <laughs> and she had MS, and her husband had realized that he could not take care of her. And so he moved to a plot of land on some acreage just across the highway but several miles away from her. And he ran his business as a taxidermist over there and went and checked on her once in a while, but he was not her caregiver. Her children had to be, and uh, I was, and the nurses, and other people were her caregivers. And that's what he needed to do for himself so that he could, you know, function. And so um, one day I was at her house taking care of her. And we were doing therapy, and I was just going on and on and on complaining about all these crazy things my husband was doing and saying and how miserable my life was. And she looked at me, and she said, Jill, grow up. (laughs) And it was a bit of a slap in the face, but I've had other patients say that to me when I've complained. And it's an amazing thing when someone is courageous enough to just tell you, you know, this is how I'm experiencing my stuff, and you need to just get a grip on your life and realize that your life is not over. Your life is beautiful. She pointed out to me that I have three beautiful boys and all of this stuff. And I was like, man, you are so right. What is the matter yeah. with me? And it, and it helped me a lot. Yeah, you so. stopped being a victim. Exactly. Victim mentality. Yes. And, and all of the whining and complaining that goes along with that. <laughs> Just doesn't ever help. Yeah. Doesn't do a darn thing. What are some other pitfalls that you experienced that that you know made it hard for you to care for yourself? Because that's caregivers just can't seem to get around to learning how to care for themselves. It's it's easier said than done, I think. Right. Uh, so one day, this was the first time my husband quit his job. One day, I was in the kitchen with my youngest at the time son we were preparing lunch and Mm -hmm. my husband came home from work early bawling he came in the front door and just was sobbing and I said what is going on I thought he was going to tell me somebody had died or something and he said I cannot go back to work the guys have been talking behind my back the boss took me for a drive to see the new facility they're opening up and then he went another way back to work telling me that he had some things to take care of and he'd see me later. So my boss must be planning to fire me. Mm. Those were the kinds of things that my husband struggled with. Paranoia. Yeah, yeah. So when he said those things, I I didn't know that he was schizophrenia at the time. Mm. I started saying things to myself like, he's crazy or, you know, he's paranoid. But it, and I even have a minor in psychology, but I was in denial. And so I just adopted, not this very instant, but over the course of the next like 20 years, did a lot of emotional eating. That was one of my main pitfalls. Wow. Um, because I just didn't know what else to do when I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> <laughs> and so besides all the, 
dumb thoughts that I was having that I talked about just a little while ago. I just did a lot of emotional eating. And being a physical therapist assistant, I was always very physically active and have never had uh, trouble with staying fit. But I ate a lot of sugar. And three years ago, before I started my health coaching and life coaching journey, I was in a wheelchair because I couldn't walk because of my arthritis from all the sugar. And so I just did have a lot of pitfalls. And some of the other pitfalls were just um, feeling like I was alone. Uh, The VA denied us twice, even though they had a lot of evidence that he just fit nice and neatly into the categories of people that have the problems he has. And other Mm. people from his ship got VA benefits. And I don't know why they denied us, maybe just for reasons that I don't know about. But I'm fine with it now because we're doing okay. Um, And so I just, my, my pitfalls were just things that I didn't realize could help me and so I ended up not taking very good care of myself emotionally or physically. Wow. Well, you look great. I assume you uh, dropped all of that weight that you put on. I dropped it, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't hadn't put on a ton of weight because like I said, I was really physically active, but I just, all the sugar just really brought on my arthritis and I did have to drop about 25 pounds. Well, that's a lot. I, you don't look yeah. like you have a lot to begin with. <laughs> no, yeah, and I am very small-boned, so 25 pounds was way too much for me. But it wasn't just the poundage. It was the inflammation in my joints that, mm. that had caused me yeah, to Yeah, that's eat. a good point. You know, everyone has arthritis. I certainly do. And uh, every time I eat candy and stuff, it just seems like it hurts more. So I try to stay away from candy. <laughs> you have does. that problem too, yeah. Adrian? Uh, I don't eat sugar. Yes, yeah, so she gave up all go. the bad stuff. So oh, I gave up girl. all the bad stuff. <laughs> yes, I went to lunch with her, and she ate very, very good. <laughs> Smart woman. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break, so don't go away. We will be right back. We are a community of caregivers that understands and supports you wherever you are in your journey. We are a place to connect with other caregivers, but more importantly, a place to get practical, actionable help. There are lots of ways for you to get support. First of all, you can download our welcome pack. This will get you started on your Thrive journey. Next, you can ask and get answers to your questions by posting them here in our private Facebook groups. You can also get live online support by attending one of our live weekly Connect webinars. You can get practical, actionable advice by listening to our weekly podcast. You can hear and read other stories about other caregivers' experiences. Plus, add your own in our weekly Share Your Story forum, posted every Tuesday in the Facebook group. You can access essential resources and download practical Thrive Solutions Packs, all of which are geared to help you thrive as a caregiver. You can get lifetime access to all of our resources. Again, we're here to support you and help you thrive and to enjoy your life as a caregiver. And remember, this is a place to get hope, not just cope. And we're back. I'm Dave Nassani with Adrian Gruberg and our guest, Jill Armijo. Adrian, got anything you want to ask her? I, I guess I just want to know, looking back, what, what would you advise people to do differently than 
the way you started. I mean, did your husband come home like full-blown different, as you said, and you just lost it? What did you learn? kind of did lose it a few times. I um, was pretty sure that divorce was the only way I could get relief a few times. And it's really interesting because each time, and I, I believe in God and I pray. So each time I knelt down and prayed and asked Heavenly Father if I should divorce my husband. For, and I, I felt like I had really legitimate reasons. I felt really sorry for my kids. I knew that I was neglecting my health. And I, I felt like maybe that was the right choice. And each time that I, that I prayed, I felt the warmest sensation of just such powerful love. And I felt like that was the love that the Lord has for my husband. And I felt like, mm. wow, my husband is pretty special. And it gave me the answer that I needed. I felt like the answer was no. That's mm. not the answer. And it's it's been made evident over these the last 20 years that for sure that wasn't the answer. And I'm so yeah. glad that I didn't divorce my husband. So I think some of the things um, that I just want people to know that maybe they can and learn from my experiences is that, and one thing that I did was I just thought that my husband had to be different for me to be happy, that he needed mm -hmm. curing or he needed treatment. And we did take him for treatment. So the VA turned us down in the, in the medical field uh, still to this day is not really adept at recognizing the group of symptoms that the people have from that situation because they're kind of scattered. Like there's usually mood um, changes. My husband also has a chronic gastrointestinal bleed from who knows what, um, mm. and that's never gone away, and right. it's difficult to control. And then he has the respiratory stuff and the eczema and chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. So those wow. don't act like a group of symptoms that the medical community really recognizes. So we weren't ever really given any good treatments for him. They did try to treat him for his schizophrenia three times and for anxiety once with medications. And each time, the medication he was in almost killed him mm. for different reasons. And that's, that's kind of a, a, a oh. long story, so I won't get into that. But he had crazy, not just mental, but really bad physical repercussions from those medications. And so I just want people to know that you don't have to wait for your loved one to change or to get better or to die or anything. You can be happy right now, and it's mostly to do with just your thinking about the situation and how you approach. One thing that I really regret that I didn't do enough was to play with my husband and my kids. I have mm -hmm. lots of memories of me doing the chores and being resentful as my husband just made the kids die laughing on the couch as they read stories or they just watched TV or they played games. My husband was the all-time quarterback because he couldn't really run. He could barely stand up a lot of the times. And so he would just stand in the middle of the backyard or the playground and, and throw the football and the kids would run and run and run and they'd sleep really good. And so there was a lot of times that I just wish 
that I would have just played more instead of feeling sorry for mm -hmm. myself and doing the chores and wondering why I was all alone in this journey. It was just such a such a ridiculous and sad thing that I talked to myself like that because it didn't have to have been that way. You really have a good handle on on mindset. I mean, I I think a good part of self-care is getting your head in the right place to then be able to follow up and take care of yourself in other ways. Um, I agree. When, when, when your husband first came home, uh, was he okay with the boys or was there a period of adjustment there too? So he came back before I had ever gotten pregnant. Um, kind of interesting because we actually flew oh. him home from all three of his deployments a month early because we missed each other so much. So his first deployment, he came home a month early. By the time his ship ported, it, the day that it ported in San Diego was the day I had my doctor's appointment because something's wrong with my stomach and I was pregnant. And so I had the pregnancy <laughs> test and I, I went to the desk and I told the lady that I was pregnant and this was in California in San Diego so of course they asked me if I wanted to abort it and I was really offended and I said no I don't want to abort my baby and and then and then she said and, and, and tell then me said, are so you I sure? had to give the name rank and serial number that well they they wanted to know my husband's stuff and his ship yeah. and where he was and all this stuff and so I was giving her all the information and she looked up at me and she said isn't that ship just docking today after I was <laughs> and I said yeah those yeah, those mailmen, you know, and she was just scandalized. So she had scandalized me by asking me if I wanted to abort. So I scandalized her right back, and I just thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's amazing. So I um, wanted to ask you, what, what kinds of experiences have you had that were challenging that you haven't already told us? I mean, how many years now has it been? Are you talking about like 29 years you've been going 29 through 29 years. 28, God. right? I've been going through my thing uh -huh. for 22 yeah. years. I thought that was that was really, but 29 years. Now, how many of those years did you do it wrong and you have your regrets and, and you're glad that, you know, that part Most of it is of over? <laughs> Most of them. Yeah. Wow. Most of them. So, so in, in continuing with uh, Adrian's question about the kids, uh, I did a lot most of those years of thinking that the kids didn't deserve this, that somehow their life was um, not good for them or it was too bad that they had a dad that was disabled, a mom that was always gone to work because most of the time I had a couple of jobs. I usually had a full-time job and then I did home health on the side to make ends meet. Um, and so um, I just, we had a lot of challenges. Like one day I came home from work and my husband was standing at the living room window, peeking through the slats of the blinds. And our across the street neighbors had a couple of little kids. They were out in the front yard doing some flower gardening. And their two little kids who were probably two and three or four at the time were throwing dirt clods and rocks at each other. And when I came in the house, my husband said, we have got to go to Lowe's right now and get some barbed wire fence the yard because those kids are going to throw rocks at the house mm. and I, I I so one of my biggest pitfalls and one of the challenges things that I did wrong for most of the years 
was that I tried to reason with him. Can't reason with someone who's panicking, who's mentally ill, who's delusional. It doesn't work. And so I tried to, and so we always ended up arguing. We argued so much, and that's one of the reasons that I thought my kids just didn't deserve this, because they had to watch us scream and yell at each other a lot. Mm. But so I told my husband, we, the, the barbed wire isn't going to keep the rocks out. And he said, well, maybe we can get bars for the windows. And I said, that's not going to keep the rocks out. And so I refused to go to Lowe's with him. If I would have just gone to Lowe's with him and mm-hmm. talked about it and maybe just, you know, kind of slowly move, you know, maybe we would look at the different options for the barbed wire fence. And I could have said, hmm, I wonder if these would keep rocks out. You know, I don't know what I could have done back then. Yeah. I, I never, like... If someone who is hallucinating a giraffe in their room, you're supposed to say what color are its spots. You're not supposed right. to say there's not a giraffe in the room because they see a giraffe. Right. Their brain is telling them there's a giraffe there. No matter what you say, there's a giraffe there. So that's that was my main um, fault all of these years is always trying to talk sense into my husband. He has a lot of right. attraction Similar to, to dementia. Um, things like... Yeah, he has a lot of attraction to things like conspiracy theories and aliens and all kinds of stuff like that and loves so to talk about it. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so I've learned to just talk to him about it and listen and just, mm. um, you know, enjoy things that he's learned, even if I'm not quite in alignment with where it's going or whatever. Mm-hmm. So How, how old I are the boys now? now? My oldest is 27, my next is 25, and my youngest just turned oh 20. Mm. Oh my. So, and they, their entire lives have been so much better than their mother at negotiating their dad's stuff because they grew up with him like that. So are they mm. scarred in some way? How, how has this experience um, <laughs> you made them disabled in and, some areas emotionally or whatever? Yeah, they. so I kept waiting for my kids to be schizophrenic because, <laughs> you know, the... There's the nature and the nurture, and if you grow up with a schizophrenic parent, you're, um, I guess you're 25% likely to get it, to be schizophrenic. Oh, wow. um, and I only have three boys, so maybe if we'd have had another one, they would have been schizophrenic. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But my husband's schizophrenia was brought on by the sarin gas, I believe, and he yeah. got sick when he was older than most schizophrenics. And none of my kids have showed mm-hmm any signs of schizophrenia i have showed signs of schizophrenia so there's this thing called sptsd it's secondary ptsd and it wow. it's a situation where the spouse or the caregiver or the best friend or partner or whoever of somebody that has dtsd starts looking for danger looking for things that might set them off looking for you know, situations to protect them from. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they almost become PTSD themselves because they're so nervous walking on eggshells. That's what I was always telling myself. So I um, was kind of S schizophrenic and my kids are fine, but I was always like, I lied to my husband. I hid money from him. I I told my kids, don't tell your blah, blah, because he was so up upset with money. He always thought we were going to lose our house. He always thought, Mm. you know, that, um, you know, if I tried to sign up the kids for t-ball or violin lessons or whatever, he would always say, we don't have enough money. And then the next minute he would say, what their uniforms are going to look like, or, you know, so it was a roller coaster, but um, I was the one who was the most affected 
by just trying to resist his situation. And if I would have just embraced it and just, you know, I don't know. I wasn't very good at it. My, my kids are amazing. They're all very responsible, happy adults. Thank very, God for that. Um, yeah, very Thank good God. kids. I'm so proud of them and yeah. love them so much. I, I know there are a lot of caregivers on um, my site where in the aftercare grieving group, there are a lot of people who are suffering from PTSD. The caregivers um, themselves? I'm, yeah, the caregivers themselves. Yeah. Uh, be, the yeah. vo the void that's thing. left. Yeah. And you it's know, a thing. Adrian, I know, I don't know if you've heard mm -hmm. this statistic before, but I heard that um, a percentage, I don't know what the number is, of caregivers will actually take on the, disabil the disability of their loved one. You know, uh. if it's dementia, they can somehow catch dementia. I didn't know it was contagious. And obviously post-traumatic stress disorder that, that, or if not the disease itself, then symptoms of the disease, you know. And uh, I thought that was mm -hmm. interesting when I heard it, but here we have a, a real-life story where you're telling me that 25% uh, of um, uh, caregivers or those that are around a, a P post-traumatic stress disorder patient can actually catch it. So that's interesting. Actually, actually, that statistic is um, the likelihood of children of schizophrenics to mm. ah, schizophrenia. Right. Not spouses? And they don't know if it's more... No. And it's they no, don't know if it's more because of the genes or because of how they're raised. Yeah. So well, then it would explain the, your the it would explain your condition more than the children's perhaps that you the spouse of a yeah. uh, post traumatic stress disorder are experiencing uh symptoms and Adrian says that uh, many of her uh people that she knows in her group are kind of doing that too. So it's an interesting concept. I'm sure they've done a a scientific study on it, and they somehow felt comfortable saying that. They've done lots. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so in my field as a life coach, I call that mirroring. Ah, uh, yeah. Where, and you can mirror with anybody. They don't have to be somebody with a, prob a problem. Yeah. You can mirror your um, your negative teenager. If your teenager's sure. moping around being negative and you say, stop being so negative, what's that? <laughs> That's being negative. So we mirror each other when we try to change each other and it's only in fully accepting each other and just accepting who we are and our differences and loving each other and not judging that's when we can ditch the mirroring and we can be our own true self instead of acting like the other person that's kind of like uh, the concept of osmosis as well if you're around something long enough yeah. pretty soon it, it kind of sticks <laughs> Well, listen, we're going to take another break. And so it don't... doesn't have to. No, it doesn't have to. That's the good news. So uh, don't go yeah. away. We'll be right back. We're going to take a break. One Arm, One Leg, 100 Words, Overcoming Unbelievable Hardships, is about Charlene, a stroke survivor. Back in 1996, Charlene was a healthy, normal, very active 52-year-old woman whose amazing talents resemble that of both a Martha Stewart and a Wonder Woman. But all that changed when she suffered a massive stroke that left her severely speech impaired and paralyzed on the right side. Everyone who knows Charlene is thoroughly amazed at how she lives day by day, month by month, year by year, 
and with a smile on her face and hope in her heart that everything is going to be okay. Just hear what best-selling author Lynn Barrington has to say about it. If you think you have it bad, read this book. This is a beautiful, genuine story told from the heart. It's inspiring and easy to read. When you finish this book, you'll be able to look at your concerns in a new light. One arm, one leg, 100 words, overcoming unbelievable hardships. Available everywhere. And we're back with our guest, Jill Armijo, and Adrian Gruberg, and myself, Caregiver Dave. And what do you got in your hands there? This is I nice. see a furry thing. She just thing. decided she wanted to join in. Yeah, she's oh. my fur baby. One of them. Oh. Now I want I want to invite I know. My now we all want to get our dog. <laughs> <laughs> what a cutie. What kind Sorry. of breed is that? She just, she's a mutt. Her her dad is Karen Terrier, and her mom is half Dachshund, half Chihuahua. Yes. Wow. Ours is a rescue dog she's as a, well. She's a mess. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, uh, what kind of things are you and your husband up to nowadays, now that you kind of both have embraced the new normal and you're getting along and you're not thinking about divorce or murder or anything like that? <laughs> or suicide. <laughs> or suicide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or suicide. Yeah, so one amazing thing that has happened for us is just the huge amount of gratitude that we have in our lives, not because... So for a lot of years, when I felt overwhelmed, I would think I've got to pull myself out of this. And I would try to get rid of the negative feelings by counting my blessings. And mm -hmm. that would usually just make me feel guilty because I saw all these blessings I had and I still felt bad. And so that was really not the way to do it. I've learned that the way to do it is just to take immaculate care of my emotional health. And so I stopped hiding things and lying and uh, walking on eggshells and trying to protect my husband. And so I you would tell him. enabling it maybe, huh? Yeah, yes. So an example of this is the other day, um, my, my daughter-in-law is expecting our first granddaughter. And Congratulations. So, I'm really, yeah, we're so excited. And so in the past, I would have just gone and got her a cheap present and not told my husband anything because he would have thought any kind of, you know, baby gift was extravagant. And <laughs> and so in the past, I've done a lot of pansying around and hidden stuff like that from him. And so the other day, I just said, sweetie, I'm going to go get... Um, some baby gifts for Andrea because she's having her shower tomorrow. And he said, oh, can I come? I thought, oh, here we go. We're going to be in Walmart arguing and he's going to, yeah. you know, not want me to spend any money. And But I just thought, you know what, the new me is going to just say, yeah, come along. And so we went to Walmart and we found the cutest onesies that said the cutest things on them. And my husband and I were over there in the onesie section at Walmart just crying, tears of joy because we were giving these onesies to my daughter-in-law for her, for her baby. I'm sorry, and what is a onesie? What's a onesie? I don't it's, know. It's a t-shirt with snaps on the bottom, so you can pull it up, change their diaper, and put it back on uh, it and snap it. That's a very good explanation. I think I, think I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. But you uh, were able so to... these little onesies... Go ahead. 
sorry, these little onesies said cute little things like, my oh. finger is tiny, but I've got my daddy wrapped all around it. And, um, <laughs> take me to grandma's. Take me to grandma's and let the spoiling begin. And um, <laughs> sorry, guys, my dad says I can't date till I'm 30. And just cute little things like that. We were just cracking up and and crying. <laughs> we're and, so excited. So that was a good decision. And what I was going to say, you you were able with this new mindset to actually share something with him that you would have kept from him. Mm -hmm. It's it's such a wonderful change. Yes. It's freeing. It's so wonderful. Oh, liberating. That's kind of our liberating. That's our new normal. <laughs> yeah. That is so cool. How long how long ago did did he start to do the coaching? I mean, just um, within the past few months. Oh. Remarkable. The other question that I had was um what impact did your son's leaving home have on the relationship? Did it make it better? That or? is such a good question. So before my oldest son left home at the age of 19 to go to, or 18, whenever that was, to go to his first year of college, <clears throat> I was terrified. But as soon as my, as soon as he, because he was quite the peacemaker and he was so helpful. He was our caregiver because I was a mess. Mm. And I was really worried that when he left, I would have no choice but to di divorce my husband. I just didn't think I could mm. hold myself together. Wow. I depended on him too much. And I was not emotionally um, mature. And he left. And my next son, who had up to that point been kind of a troublemaker, he's kind of the rebellious one. He's the one that always does things his own way and reinvents the wheel and stuff. He totally stepped up and became my caregiver. And I still wasn't an emotional adult yet. And he did amazing. And then I thought, when he leaves, I'm going to fall apart. And when he left to go, he actually joined the military. Um, he joined the military, but he's very, very patriotic. And I should have seen that one coming. Mm. Um, my youngest stepped up and started studying schizophrenia. And he was just, you know, a youngster in high school, and he took a psychology class, mm. and he stepped up. And so each time one of my kids left home, I thought I was going to fall apart, and I didn't. And then my youngest left home over a year ago, and it's just been amazing. I, I, I'm fine. <laughs> um, Did you I say you had? large part to the fact that I watched them be yeah. amazing. Did you I say you had all, all three of these kids after he came home while he was going through his problems? Yes. Why did I have any of them, huh? Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I want to say, how did he well, react during the births? Oh, well, that's very differently. So the first one, that's kind of a funny story. He, um, I started going to Lamaze class right away when I found uh -huh. out I was pregnant, and um, he refused to go with me, being a partner, and of mm -hmm. course that should be your spouse if if they're willing. Yeah. And he refused to go with me, and I was really pissed off. And I, and I said, you have got to go with me. You got me into this, and there was no amount of convincing <laughs> or arguing that was going to get him to. <clears throat> and so he one day went <clears throat> to work on his ship. He was still in the Navy at this point, and he went to work, and his friend, <clears throat> a girl who worked in the, sh in the shop with him, he was complaining to her that I was trying to insist that he go to Lamaze class with me. And she just gave him <clears throat> the 
the riot act and he she told him you have to be with you have to um, hold her hand and you have to help her breathe you have to help her get through it and he listened to her <laughs> and he came home and Mm-hmm. He said, okay, I'll go to Lamaze class with you. So he was wow. a trooper. I, my uh, labor was 22 hours, and he did not leave my side except to go to the bathroom. The nurses brought him Dr. Peppers to help him stay awake, <laughs> and he was amazing. Yeah, and then my next son, he was out at sea. Before they listen to their loved ones. Oh, it's, it's, it's just how guys are. Exactly. But my next son, we had carefully, we had carefully planned to have my son in October, the year that my husband was scheduled to leave in December, and they moved up the leave date, and he actually left three days before my son was born, and so my best friend went with me to the hospital, and I had the baby with my best friend coaching me, and she was awesome. So um, then my youngest son, he was out of the Navy by then, and really, really sick by then. He Mm. had gone through the lowest of his lowest part with the bleeding and the and the mental stuff and um, he really struggled to be in the hospital with me because of all the people but he remembered what a what a gift it was for him to be there at the birth of our first son and how sad he was that he couldn't be there for our second son so he made the ultimate ultimate sacrifice and he was there and he was in bed sick for two or three weeks after that because of all the stuff that he suffered being in the hospital with me for our third baby so he is truly truly an amazing and strong and wonderful guy sounds like a great guy be very proud of him lucky yeah blessed (laughs) so let's talk about what you do today with caregivers you have this this uh, ministry, I don't know what you would call it, but uh, you're helping caregivers probably not make the same mistakes you made. So tell us about that. Are you planning on writing a book? Do you have a website? Are you going to start a radio show? What's in the works to help <laughs> caregivers? So I, yeah, I'm new at it, but I started last year in 2018, and I started as a health coach because of the amazing transformation I had gone through from being in a wheelchair to being uber healthy. Mm -hmm. And that's what I wanted to share with people. In the process of setting up my business and all the struggles that are inherent with that, I found a life coach who helped me to um, negotiate all of that. I found her last February. So I've been life coached by her since then, uh, mostly in a group setting, but I've <clears throat> had a couple of, uh, a few, you know, personal sessions with her, and that has just transformed my my life with my husband. Um, so that's what I want to do for other caregivers. She is not a caregiver coach. She's a coach of mothers with young children who are setting up side gigs, mm. and that's how I found her. She she helped me with my business stuff. But she is so much more than just a business coach. And so then I decided that I wanted to focus on caregivers and do the life coaching aspect that deals mostly with the emotional health of caregivers. That's what I'm focusing on. And I have had some really, really fun clients. I, of course, am not um, as busy as I want to be yet, but it is so amazing to see just a 20 or 30-minute uh, coaching session to just see all the wheels turning and oh and and I can think this way and oh that feeling because of 
my thought about that. It's not because of my circumstance. And just to see the transformations that people can go through so quickly and feel so much happy in their life has been such a gift. I'm just really, really <laughs> excited. And so I started writing my book last June, and I'm almost finished. And my book is called <coughs> Home of the Unknown. <coughs> Home of the Unknown. Excuse me. <laughs> I have that same problem. I can't remember the name soldier. of my book. Home of the Unknown Soldiers. Uh, yeah, how coming back became the other ultimate sacrifice. Uh, and so it's kind of it's kind of about how hard it is, and it is mm. a sacrifice, but it's so worth it. And I'm going to have a coaching, um, a little course that goes along with my book to help mm -hmm. people take each chapter of the pitfalls that I did and the things they've learned and apply it to their own situation with whoever they're caring for so that they can be happier and, and negotiate times and not try to resist because that just causes you know, learning of emotions and more problems. So are, that's my mission. Are you, are you going to, to direct your coaching at, at Wives of Vets? I am um, <laughs> about that. I would like to have that be my my little special beautiful niche because niche. I really resonate yep. resonate with that. But I a little nervous, and I know that I just need to talk myself through this because since the VA turned us down twice, when I'm right. on my I'm in, I'm on there's I'm on Facebook caregiver groups where I interact with people and I know nothing about how the VA operates and what people can expect from a visit or from an mm. um, evaluation or so I, I kind of feel a little uneasy about that but I have to keep reminding myself that I'm coaching the caregiver I'm not telling the caregiver how to deal with right. it and so that that is truly the niche that I really feel most aligned with However, at this point, I feel like there's so many people that are caring for parents or even adult children who need me, and I don't want to miss them, but it is recommended that you really niche down and get really yeah. uh, focused on a certain group. So. Yeah, because your when message I, is I good for caregivers and non-caregivers alike, uh, as, uh, as well as, obviously, the post-traumatic stress syndrome and veterans and all that stuff. It's a message that is that is wide in its uh, breadth, yes. but uh, narrow as well. What were you going to say, Adrian? And when I, when I became a life coach in uh, 1998, um, my, I envisioned coach, coaching people who had parents that were aging and walking walking them through it that um, not that I knew best but I I would I was a good coach yeah <laughs> yeah and I bet you were. and and I think in 1998 you know I I the fact that I started to think about caregiving before I was r really in it myself. Looking mm. back now, you reminded me that that was <laughs> what I started out doing. Amazing. Yeah. Huh? Here I am. That's awesome. <laughs> well, so you have You're contact. You're amazing, Adrian. 
contact information. I think every caregiver is amazing, but especially Adrian. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so when do you estimate the book will be published? Uh, Hopefully by the end of the year. I've never published a book, so I'm not really sure I'm going to be finished with easy. my writing by the end of May. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll get yeah. together later. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I have some direction and I... I I think I will figure it out as I go. But so yeah, far, and no and you know, you contacted me about this show, which which takes a lot of guts and yeah. and uh, uh, good for you because a lot of people are too timid to do that. So you're on the right track, and there are other shows that you can be just as aggressive. Um, other publications, I can happy to give you a list of uh, who you can send similar letters to or emails. And start talking about it even Thank before you. it's done, you know, uh, because you don't just yeah. market a book when it's published. You market it way before it's published. Get some it's not excitement. aggressive. It's assertive. That's what I meant it's to assertive. say. Thank I just you. want to help assertive. all Aggressive yeah. is a neg <clears throat> negative right. word. I was searching. Sometimes I can't find my <laughs> word. They sound alike. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Adrian. What would I do without yeah, Adrian? I'm spit, she's polished. <laughs> so how do we get a hold of you if we want to be a, a customer of your life coaching or we want to make sure we're on the list of the pre-purchase uh, uh, list of uh, your book or if we want to know if you have a website or want to be on your mailing list, all of the above, I don't know. <clears throat> So I'm hoping that you have show notes. Do you do that? You know, we should start doing that, Adrian. <laughs> I take notes. No, she this... means that when, when we publish okay. the show, uh, oh. a lot of places will actually have uh, <laughs> uh, notes on, you know, the contact information. Things that you can link link to yeah. so they don't have to write it down themselves. Yeah. So um, the first the first way you can get a hold of me is you can, you're welcome to email me directly. And that is Jill Don Armijo. Don is D-A-W-N. Jill is J-I-L-L. -L. My last name is spelled A-R-M-I-J-O mm -hmm. at Gmail. <clears throat> so Jill Don Armijo at Gmail. The website yeah. is jillarmijo.com slash Dave. Made it just for you, Dave. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> You're so sophisticated in how to do and that, things. And that, that actually, the slash Dave will get you right to the document. If you don't want to do, oh, okay. if you want to see my website, don't do the slash Dave. Just do jillarmiho.com. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. And on that website, I have a link. I have a link near the bottom of the first page. I, I, I need to put it closer to the top, but right now it's kind of near the bottom. And that's a link to nine ways to get more me time. And it's an amazing little document that's just full of ideas that a caregiver of things a caregiver needs all right well any last uh, thoughts adrian that's it i just think that you'll be a really really good coach yep and that you're doing a great you. job i'm having mm -hmm. fun Love yes it. it's important it's really to have fun. fun okay well and thank I do you just put in a plug for my yeah facebook group okay. just go to my facebook page i guess and it's just facebook jill.armijo.56 very good well thank you and uh, everybody okay. we we appreciate you tuning in and we will be back next week same time same channel 
Thank you for listening to the Caregiver's Caregiver radio program with Dave Nassani.